If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open it to the book of Proverbs. There's a Bible around you if you don't have one. Um, it's easy to find Proverbs. Go to the very middle of the book, and you'll probably land at Psalms, and then go one book to the right, and you are at Proverbs. So, I was at the lake uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was after youth camp. Uh, I went back uh, just to sort of relax, and uh, Brad and Rachel Wright, who are incredible hosts, uh, were just, just taking, taking us. We, we, we went out of the lake, and just for a... Uh, just for an encouraging time, a fun time, and I tried to wakeboard uh, to no avail. <laughs> I almost killed myself trying to wakeboard, but that's another story. At any rate, I was in the boat with Brad Wright. Is that at Possum Kingdom Lake? Beautiful, beautiful lake. And so we, we go over, and we're in the boat, and we go over near the shore, and there are these really big trees right by the shore of the water. And Brad said, kind of reminds you of Psalm chapter 1, doesn't it? Now... Psalm chapter 1 says something like this. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of God. And on the law they meditate day and night. They will be like a tree planted by the streams of water who brings forth his fruit in season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And I was just looking at those trees right on the body of water, right planted right there on the shores, and even though it was in the middle of a long and hot and a dry summer, the leaves were green, and the leaves were growing, and the tree was healthy, and the tree was strong. Why? Because its roots went down right into the water, and it was always nourished. And so it is with our faith, with our joy, with our peace, with our love, with our passion for Christ, with our passion for the body of Christ. We are like trees, the scriptures say, planted by the streams of water. Even if it's a long, hot, dry, in a, in, in a dry season, our faith and joy and passion for Christ, the body of Christ, and a lost and dying world will stay strong. Why? Because the body of water is the Word of God, and we're in it every single day. And I know passion can be like a roller coaster, and joy can be like a roller coaster. It can be up, and it can be down. And if you are on this roller coaster, and if you are down, let me ask you, are you in the Word every single day? The Bible tells us this is where wisdom is found. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This is where our spiritual life and vitality and passion is found. It's in the Word of God. In this series on wisdom, we've been talking about the reality that if we begin to love the things that we ought to hate and delight in the things that we ought to shun, it's just a matter of time that we will scoff at the things that we should worship, and we will have no appetite for the things in which God has designed us to hunger and thirst. There's a story about this uh, young girl, and she goes off to college, and when she's in college, uh, she writes back to her uh, dad, and she says, Dad, I, I, need, I need some money. And he says, can, can, you, just, can you just read the Bible? I, I put a Bible in your backpack, just read the Bible. And she says, Dad, I get it. Spirituality is great, but I've got a practical need. I need some money. He says, read the, read the Bible. A few days later, she calls, Dad, I need the Bible. Same response. Or she, she says, I need some money, and he responds, read the Bible. A few weeks later, Dad, I really need, I really need some money. And he says, read the Bible. She says, Dad, you're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. I've got real practical needs. I need some money for tuition and, and books. Read the Bible. Eventually, she wasn't able to make her tuition payment or, or buy the book, so she's back home and she's mad at her dad. And she said, Dad, I needed money. And he said, you needed to read the Bible. And she said, Dad, that's so, 
spiritual. This is practical. And he said, in the Bible, at every major division, I put a $500. And if you would have read the Bible, you would have had all the money that you needed. And in the same way, in our lives, we say, God, I need wisdom. And he says, read the Bible. It's in the Bible. God, I need joy. I need strength. I need favor. I need momentum. I need blessings. And God says, read my word. It's in my word. All of my promises are in my word, read it, and you will have it. Read it, your faith will grow. Read my word, your passion will be developed. Read my word, your passion for ministry will be renewed. What do you have need of? Are you in the word? Are you a tree that's planted by the streams of water, or are you a tree that's, that's just withering and it's dry because you've been neglecting the word. Do you, you have very real, very practical needs in your life. Have you been reading the Bible? Is it all really that simple? Absolutely. If you have been on a treasure hunt in the Word of God every day, every day this past week and the week before that, you know that you have joy in your heart and peace in your mind, and you have momentum at your back, you have favor at work, you have peace in your relationships, and if you have not, spiritually speaking, you are bone dry. It is what it is. It's God's design. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, if you have your Bibles, open it to the book of Proverbs. I've been challenging you to read a proverb a day. Uh, And I know some of you guys have been doing it, and I've really been encouraged by that. In men's group yesterday morning, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., we read, uh, just slowly, we went around and read our proverb for the day, and we we each read a verse, and it was very, uh, very encouraging. So, uh, Today, you ought to read, I believe it's Proverbs chapter 15, before you go to bed. Cry out for wisdom before you read it. Cry out for wisdom after you read it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. While you're at it, I encourage you also to memorize Psalm chapter 1. I quoted the first three-fourths of it to start the sermon. By the way, if we, if we finish that psalm, um, we will read that, that if you don't, get in the Word every day, then what's going to happen is you're going to be like chaff. And basically, chaff is just the, after you beat wheat, you have what you want, there's, there's uh, just sort of very light, very, very light particles that's called chaff that after you beat the wheat, for, for, which is your product, then this very lightweight chaff, it just rises almost like dust off of the wheat and the wind just blows it away and it disappears. If you're not in the Word, every day we're like chaff. We just fade away. Our faith just fades away. Oh, we might still go through the motions and we have a cerebral, heady faith, but it's not a passion for Christ and a passion for the Word. Our joy, our love, our peace, it's like chaff. It just fades away. So, read the Bible. What do you have need of? Read the Bible. It's in the Word. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 12 reads, When you walk... Your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. This is for those who are on the path of righteousness, who are on the path for wisdom. And what we're going to do, we're going to fly through three chapters today. We're going to fly through chapter 2, 3, and 4. And then as we continue this series in Proverbs, talking about wisdom, from this point, from next week forward, for the rest of the month, we're going to approach Proverbs topically. But right now, we're just going to fly through chapter 2, 3, and 4. And my challenge to you this week is to read Psalm chapter 1. Read it, reread it, reread it, reread it, and memorize it. And then pray, oh God, help me to be this person. Help me to be this person. Because what's going to happen is if, if you're not a tree that's planted by the streams of water because you're in the Word of God every single day, and then if you're not in the body of Christ every single week, and if you're not utilizing your gifts of serving in ministry, like uh, Mason just gave a testimony. He and his wife Erica are up in the nursery. They're serving, and they've been serving there a while. It's been keeping them connected to the body of Christ. And then, um, and then they came out to youth, and God just did something really beautiful in their heart. And M- Mason was telling me, he's like, man, I... Baseball has been his life. He's a baseball coach at a 5A school in 121 over in the Mid-Cities area, Trinity. And he said, uh, I've got a passion to see 
teens grow up in Christ. It's a passion that exceeds baseball, anything I've ever had in my life. What's this? This is God doing something very special in his heart. And when, when we are close in the body of Christ, and when we are committed and when we are consistent, then the Holy Spirit does something special, and it does something supernatural in your heart. But what happens if we, if we stay away from not only the Word of God, but if we stay away from the body of Christ week after week after week, we are a tree that's like it's not planted by streams of water, it's planted in the desert, and our faith and our joy and our passion for Christ, the body of Christ, and the lost and dying world evaporates. And then you begin delighting in the things that you should shun. And you begin to scoff at the things that you should worship. And when I see somebody neglecting the Word of God every day, I'm like, man, they're a casualty. They are a spiritual casualty waiting to happen. When I see somebody or a family neglecting the body of Christ week after week after week, I'm thinking, man, the enemy is about to pick them off. They are a spiritual casualty waiting to happen. But then when you roll up your sleeves and you begin serving in the body of Christ, then there's a rush of spiritual momentum in your heart. And week after week as you serve, it keeps you dependent on the Holy Spirit. It keeps you accountable. It keeps you close to that river that makes your spiritual life vital and flourishing. So stay close to the Word of God. Stay close to the people of God so that you don't get picked off like a casualty and begin delighting in the things that you should shun and scoffing the things that you were designed to worship and seek after with all of your heart. So in Proverbs chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, we are going to break it down into these truths, these facts, these realities. One, wisdom, guard your path, Proverbs chapter 2. Do you have wisdom? Not just, not just the acquisition of wisdom, but the pursuit of wisdom. Guard your path. Even if you don't have the wisdom that you are desperate for yet, if you are at least pursuing wisdom, that is the path of wisdom, and that's the path of righteousness. And if you have wisdom, or you are in God's way, passionately pursuing wisdom, wisdom, or the path of wisdom, guards your path. Secondly, wisdom guides your path. Proverbs chapter 3, or the passionate pursuit of wisdom guides your path. And even if you don't have the wisdom you need, you're passionately pursuing the wisdom. It will guard your path. It will guide your path. And thirdly, wisdom will grow your path. It will. It's a fact. Wisdom will. It will expand your path. It will expand your spiritual momentum. It will expand your favor, God's favor upon you in every area of your life. Not just having wisdom, but passionately pursuing wisdom. God's way will guard your path, guide your path, and it will grow your path. And then the reward of diligently, passionately seeking wisdom is wisdom overflowing, abundant wisdom. You will have wisdom. One, wisdom, guard your path. So let's break down Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. First thing, wisdom, guard your path. And this is, the, this is wisdom, but this is also the path of wisdom. One, it's all about the relationship. Notice the capital T, the, and then the capital R, the relationship. We all have many relationships, but then there is the relationship, and the relationship is with Jesus Christ. I recently met with somebody, and, and they are about to embark on a very big venture in their life, and God has put big things in their heart for His glory and for the hope of the world. And I said, you know what? I just leave you with this counsel. There was a mouse that wanted to walk across a bridge and make it shake and thunder. And the mouse walked on the bridge and jumped up and down. Nothing. Nothing. So the mouse was disheartened and it went and it sat under a big tree and it sulked because it really wanted to make that bridge thunder. But it couldn't. So some time passed and the mouse sees an elephant meandering along and the mouse has an idea and it says, hey, where are you headed? And the elephant says, well, I'm going to walk across the bridge. And the mouse says, do you mind if I walk along? And the elephant says, no, come along. And so they're walking across the bridge and as the bridge is thundering, the mouse looks up at the elephant and he says, wow, we sure can make some noise together, can't we? And in the same way, Jesus said in John 15, we can do nothing, not little, not less, nothing. Nothing on our own. 
It's all about the relationship with Jesus Christ where we seek Him and we walk with Him and we abide with Him and we grow in love with Him every single day and we grow more aware of His love for us. We walk with Christ through the Word. The daily devotional, we talk about it a lot. Through the Word, through prayer, through the body of Christ, through serving in ministry, through being dependent upon Him, through crying out to Him. We walk with Christ and we trust in Christ. And he does amazing things with us and through us. It's all about the relationship. Are you on the path of righteousness? Are you fostering, first and foremost, your relationship with Christ? Let's read chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. My son, if you receive my words and treasure, treasure, look at this, treasure up my commandments within you. We don't just read them, but we treasure them. They're our lifeline. And even if you read a promise and you don't need that promise now, you may very well need that promise next week or next month. Or because you went to Sunday school 10 years ago, God might bring back a remembrance of a promise in your heart today. We have to treasure up God's commandments within us. This is why I challenged you. I implore you. If I could walk down here right now and shake you all by the collar and say, please, please, memorize Psalm chapter 1. I would, if it would help. Memorize Psalm chapter 1 this week. Read it, reread it, and then pray, oh God, let me be that person. Because it's all about the relationship. And we cannot grow in the relationship apart from treasuring up His words in our hearts. Reading His words, hearing His words, not just with our ears and eyes, but with our hearts. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, yes, if, look at these conditions, if, chapter 2, verse 1, if you receive my words, chapter 3, if you call out for insight, raising your voice for understanding, verse 4, if you seek for it like silver and search for it like gold, then you will understand the Lord. But you won't have the then until you do the ifs, and the ifs are a relationship with Christ, if you read the word, if you treasure the word, if you cry out to God, if you walk with him, then God will give you wisdom. Our salvation is unconditional. Our wisdom is conditional. And our wisdom is conditional upon the relationship that we read about in chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Then you will receive Wisdom and the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of the saints. Then, there's that word that points to a condition. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. So what is wisdom? Knowledge? No, it's more of a matter of the heart. What is wisdom? Common sense? No, it's, it's more of a matter of the heart. It might involve knowledge. It might involve uh, common sense. Wisdom is certainly not devoid of knowledge and common sense. That's part of it. But more than that, wisdom has to do with character. It has to do with our heart beating in sync with God's heart so that we instinctively know His ways and what pleases Him. Wisdom guards your path, and it's all about the relationship, which means that we must avoid crooked paths and the wicked who travel upon them. Look at verse 10 through 19. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So will you be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words. Who forsake the companions of her youth. And forgets the covenant of her God. And her house will sink down to death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, and they do not regain the paths of life. So wisdom is not only the path of righteousness with the relationship. Wisdom is also avoiding paths of unrighteousness in the wicked and crooked and perverse people who travel upon them. You say, but Jesus was a friend of sinners and tax collectors, so I'm going to go to this party. No. Jesus was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. 
But when Jesus was hanging out with people, they weren't partying. They were hanging on to his words, and they were listening to him. Yes, Jesus was a friend of prostitutes. But when Jesus was communicating with prostitutes, they weren't at the same time trying to, trying to do business on the side. Jesus was a friend of sinners and tax collectors, but when they were spending time with Jesus, their hearts were changed and they had a repented spirit. Which means that we don't do our evangelism in environments where people are presently on crooked paths. We do our evangelism and we build friendships with people who need Christ in environments with boundaries that point people to Christ and give people a taste of righteousness and a culture of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, for example, after he was born again, waited three years before he went into his first missionary journey. God had incredible plans for Moses, but he first put him in the wilderness for 40 years. The same thing with Jesus. He wasn't 30 until he began his public ministry, and then he went into the wilderness for 40 days. All of that to say that there is boundaries that we have to etch around ourselves to protect our own righteousness. And our path of righteousness can never derail onto a path of unrighteousness in the name of evangelism. I believe that that's very foolish, and it's just a matter of time before we will then become a casualty of the enemy. It's all about the relationship. Also, we must avoid crooked paths and the wicked who travel upon them. Yes, we need to build salty and light-oriented friendships with people who need Christ, but not at not in the environments in which they're stum- presently stumbling and we see the stumbling and we could easily stumble. We have to etch out boundaries on our path of righteousness and invite them in to a friendship in that arena. Thirdly, wisdom guards your path. And the path of wisdom is to keep to the paths with righteous people. This is people in the body of Christ, verse 20 through 22. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. We are never to leave the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted of it. And when we stay to the paths of righteousness, it allows people who are on the paths of unrighteousness to see that what has happened in our heart is real, and they're going to desire that, and they're going to see the the deadliness of their path and the emptiness and fruitfulness and destruction of their path eventually, and they will see that there's another way to live. But if we veer from our path of righteousness and tread upon a path of unrighteousness, they will never see that what is in us is real and authentic, and there's a different way to live. Wisdom guards your path. It guards your path. Secondly, wisdom guides your path. And we've talked about our salvation is free, but wisdom is conditional. And the blessings and the fruit of wisdom is conditional. So let's, let's look at, and this is review, a lot of scripture, a lot of Proverbs is review. It's repetitive. And the reason that we are delving into that repetition is because when God is repetitive, he's being extremely clear. There's a few ways that you know when God really wants us to get a message. One, when he's very simple. And two, when he is very repetitive. We better listen, because God isn't whispering, God is shouting. And so, here are some conditions to meet in order for wisdom to guide our paths. One, we must store up God's teaching in our heart. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. God being repetitive. Mason talked about real estate. God uses an incredible amount of real estate in terms of Scripture to be repetitive in the truth that I want you in my word. You've got to stay in my word. Stay in my word. Every day, be in my word. When something really just kind of lights up, pray that back to me. Memorize that. Stay in the word every day so you'll be like the tree planted by the stream of water. Verse 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Did you hear these promises? Length of days and peace, but how do we get it? But we don't forsake the teaching. Verse 2, or verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and 
good success in the sight of God and men. We must store up God's teaching in our heart in order for God's words, God's way to flow from our heart and our words and our conduct. Second, we must trust and obey God's will. Chapter 3, let's just look at verse 5 and 6. This is another one. Write it, underline it, put an asterisk behind it. Keep the Bible you have if you're borrowing one this morning and then take it home and memorize this. Listen to this, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. You got to trust in the Lord with all your heart, guys. That means that there's going to be some things that come into our life that we don't understand. If we were writing the story to our lives rather than God, we would have omitted that chapter altogether. But we are not. God is writing the story, and He allows painful chapters into our life, and they don't make sense. But listen, you are never commanded to make sense of things. You're commanded to trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You're not commanded to get it. You're not commanded to understand it. You're not commanded to to understand why, you know, a prodigal child might still be a prodigal child, or you might not be able to understand why a loved one is in heaven through some untimely tragedy. We might not be able to understand why we've had a some perpetual struggle in our life. But God doesn't call us to understand it. We might not understand why somebody close to us chose to act or behave in a certain way that affected our life, what seems to be negatively. But the refreshing thing is, we don't have to understand it. We just have to stay faithful and stay the course, not understanding it, but trusting God with all of our heart. And trusting with all of our heart means that God is loving and God is good and God is with us and God is for us and God will never leave us nor forsake us and God will take this situation that we don't understand and work it together for some good that we would have never dared ask or imagine. That's His Word. We trust that even though we don't understand it, God will take this pain and He'll bring something beautiful out of it. He will bring beauty out of the ashes. He will work all things together for the good. He will make everything beautiful in its time. Those are the promises. And one day we will look back on that sorrow and we will shudder, but we won't shudder at the thought of having endured it. We will shudder at the thought of our lives without it because it was through that necessity of trusting God that God did something so unspeakably beautiful and powerful in our lives. You can't trust God like that, by the way, if you're on an island from the body of Christ. You can't trust God like that if you're neglecting the word time and time again. When sorrows like sea billows roll or you enter into a dark night of the soul in some extended season, the tendency, or even if you stumble and fall and you don't feel so terribly spiritual, the tendency is to stay isolated from the body of Christ until you feel like you have it all together. And again, you're just going to wither up and become a casualty of the enemy. That's when you need to draw close to the body of Christ and let them gather around you and cry with you and cry out to God on your behalf. There have been seasons in my life that I didn't understand that were larger than myself, and I would not, I promise you, I would not be here today if I didn't have close friends in the body of Christ, this church family, who loved me, who knew me, who I was vulnerable with, and they came around and they prayed for me. I had no prayer. I had no voice. They were my prayers. They were my voice, who loved on me, who nurtured me. And so it is for you. Get closer. When we go through dark seasons, get closer to your church family, to the body of Christ. The dark season will come and go, and you will be stronger and actually thank God. We must trust and obey God's will. And we must honor the Lord with our wealth. Verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then, look at that word, that conditional word again, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And many of you are just, are so faithful in this regard. Many of you probably have never thought about being a blessing to your church family in this regard. Your thought has primarily been, gosh, benevolence, I 
I, I hate to ask, but I need. And, you know, that's what the church is here. It's one of the things that the church is here for. We try to bless and be blessed. And, and so that's fine. But I, I encourage you to, to shift your perspective a bit and say, you know what? God, help me to be a giver. Help me to be a contributor. And if you have that heart, what's going to happen is that God will begin expanding your territory. And he will begin blessing you with favor on top of favor on, on top of favor. This is the promise. It says in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. And you think, but I'm not wealthy. That doesn't apply to me. Do you have $10? You have $10 worth of wealth, and that applies to you. And if we are called to at least tithe, and when you tithe a dollar out of the 10, then God will bless the nine. God can do more through $9 than you can do with 10, I promise you. If you're not obedient and you hang on to your $10, I promise. If you're a Christian, non-believers don't have to live like this. Non-believers can live however they want. And, and the prince of this air will seemingly bless them and all of their blessing will end in destruction. But God will discipline his children and God will not let you be disobedient. And if you try to hold on to all $10 of your wealth instead of honoring God with a dollar, two, or five... But if you try to hold on to all $10 and just run with it and make it stretch, God will curse what $10 you have and frustrate your finances. And you will perpetually live in a state of frustration and perpetually be in need of benevolence. But if you honor God with the one, with all 10, by tithing with one, you had nine left over, God will take that nine and he'll bless it. And that blessing will multiply. It is what it is. It's the only place in Scripture, in the book of Malachi, where God says, test me and prove me on this. It's in the book of Malachi. God says, test me, prove me with your tithes and offerings, and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so there's not room enough to receive it. Ah, quick the- theological doctrinal aside, some people say, well, tithing is an Old Testament principle. We're in the New Testament principle, and tithing was never mentioned in the New Testament. Actually, it was. Jesus mentioned it to the Pharisees. He said, you, you tithe, and... Um, and, and, and you go about incense, but you forget the weightier matters of the law, like love. This you should have done without leaving the former tithing undone. And besides, tithing is not an Old Testament law. Tithing is an Old Testament principle that was first introduced to us through Abraham, or Abram, in the book of Genesis. Abram tied to Melchizedek. Some believe, as I do, was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Nevertheless, it was to God. Abraham tithed through a priest named Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. And that was 500 years before the law would ever come through Moses. So therefore, tithing precedes the law by 500 years. So tithing is not an Old Testament law. Tithing is an Old Testament principle, which was never done away with. Jesus endorsed it. But not only that, the early church didn't mention tithing, and Paul didn't mention tithing, because the early church so exceeded tithing, they gave not 10%, but 100% of what they had. Tithing wasn't mentioned in the New Testament because they didn't tithe 10%. They gave 100%, if you can imagine that. And God took care of all of their needs. So I teach and I encourage you to begin with tithing. What if you haven't tithed this year? Should you go back and make up for it? No, of course not. Just start today. Just start next week. Be faithful. Be consistent with tithing. And see if God doesn't bless your 90% in a way that, that you can't bless your 100%. And what's going to happen is you're going to experience the blessing of God instead of the curse of God upon your 90%. And you'll begin giving increased favor. So I really want to encourage you. God can use you greatly if you step out in faith and grow in this area of tithing. Or test God in this area of tithing. Conditions to meet. We must be grateful for God's discipline. Verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves, a father, the son, in whom he delights. And if we meet these conditions, God is faithful to give us blessings as a result. Let's pick up with verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. If you find it, well, one, if you pursue wisdom, the way God says pursue wisdom, you will find wisdom. And if you find wisdom, you will be blessed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. 
For the grain, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and the profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We will first reap and enjoy the fruit of wisdom. Secondly, we will enjoy God's loving and powerful protection in our lives. Verse 21 and 26. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. What's discretion? Or prudence. They can be interchangeable. Here it is. Sound wisdom and prudence is saying, I can make this decision. And you understand what will happen immediately when you make this decision. But not only that, it's having equally clear an understanding of what will happen tomorrow if you make this decision. Discretion and prudence is understanding equally what will happen a year from now and five years from now if I make this decision now. And how this will affect my family. And you, don't, you not only understand it with your mind, but you feel it with your heart in a manner that causes you potentially fear or passion, you know, if it's a good thing. But prudence and wisdom and discretion, it's an understanding. If I do this now, I have a very clear understanding that it will create this effect then, or at least it potentially could. Or we understand that if this decision is, we're in the light, and every decision should be in the light, and if a decision cannot be in the light, then that decision is not wisdom. It is not God's will. That wisdom will ultimately destroy our lives and threaten every blessing that God has given to us. If any decision we make cannot be in the absolute light, we should be terrified of that decision because that decision can very well ruin every blessing that God has given to us. From family to health to wealth to favor to blessing to ministry. And wisdom and prudence is having an understanding of that. And all of the realities that could surround that decision. And we care more about those potential realities than we do that decision. So we will enjoy God's loving and faithful protection. Blessings to enjoy. We will enjoy healthy relationships. Verses 27 through 35. Sometimes you meet people and it's like there's a wake behind them. Like if you've ever been in a boat, you see that behind the boat there's a wake. It's because anytime somebody has maybe uh, their paths cross with other people's paths, they have a consistent history of creating a wake of damage behind them. But when we walk in wisdom, we will leave a wake, but it won't be a wake of damage. It'll be a wake of blessing. I'm so grateful for the people that God allows to come into my path, and and my life is just blessed and better because of it, and they're heroes in my heart, and I look at the wake behind them, and anybody they've ever crossed paths with end up being more blessed and more joyful and more peaceful and more loved and more nurtured and more like Jesus. What kind of wake do you leave? This is a very good telltale sign to indicate whether we're walking in wisdom or foolishness. There's no kind of wisdom and kind of foolishness. A little wise, I'm a little foolish. We are walking in wisdom or we are walking in foolishness. And a telltale sign to indicate whether we are walking in wisdom or foolishness. God loves the wise. He loves the foolish. He loves us when our lives are being blessed. He loves us when we're making a mess of things. But a telltale sign to indicate whether we're walking in wisdom or foolishness is what is your wake like? Are people blessed and better and more like Jesus and more for Jesus and more at peace because of knowing you? We will enjoy healthy relationships, verses 27 through 35. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again and tomorrow I'll give it. When you have it with you to give today, don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And you say, but, but, but. I know very unrighteous people who seem to be, be blessed, and I, and I know very righteous people who are just struggling. Man, every step's a struggle. I think that we could just add the word yet to that. Um, the Lord's curse 
is on the house of the wicked? And you say, but, but they're blessed. Ah, it seems like that way. Just wait. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. But, but the righteous are struggling. Just wait. God's going to bless them. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. And with his blessings, not blessings that the world esteems and the world goes crazy over and seeks after God's blessings, what God wants for them, which are the true blessings, the blessings that last forever. Just wait. Just wait. Um, we will enjoy these blessings. We will enjoy the fruit of wisdom, God's protection upon our lives. And we will enjoy healthy relationships and leave a positive wake. And then let's fly through chapter 4. Wisdom will grow your path. Wisdom will expound your, your borders. Wisdom will expand your territory. Wisdom will expand God's favor upon your life. But this is the path of wisdom. We must passionately pursue Scripture. It's as redundant, isn't it? It's repetitious. It's why? It's because God is being very simple. You say, but God, I have needs. I have needs. I, ha- I need this blessing. I need this need to be met. I need this to change. I need this to change. I need direction. I need wisdom. Do you remember the story? Read your Bible. There's $500 between each section of the major divisions in Scripture. Read your Bible. It's there. God, where were you? I told you to read the Bible. It was there every single day. But we don't read it just like a discipline. Oh, okay, I did that. But we read it like we're on a treasure hunt. We, here's the thing. You know, it's when we read, we, we look at it with our eyes or listen to it with our ears. And it, it goes into our minds. But, and, and so that's confusing because you think, well, that's enough. That, that, that's enough. Here, I, I read it. I, I heard it. But we don't read Scripture with our head first. We've got to read Scripture with our heart first. And this is how you read it like you're on a treasure hunt. Like, God, show me something. God, I need you. I need to hear for you, from you. I need to be encouraged. I need guidance. I need direction. And when we read the word heart first, then God will give us everything that we need. Passionately pursue, pursue Scripture. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Hear, O son, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. Hear the Father's instruction. This is God the Father. Be attentive to this insight, for I give you good precepts. This is the word. Do not forsake my teachings. This is the word. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in, 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 in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. You hear this? It's, it's scripture. Keep my commands and live Get wisdom, get insight. This is the word. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. This is scripture. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. In other words, we have to be on a treasure hunt in the word. And whatever you get, get insight. This is the will of God, the ways of God. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you. If you embrace her, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Are you on this treasure hunt? Passionately pursue scripture. Secondly, passionately protect your path of wisdom. And again, the the Lord is being repetitious. Protect your path from paths of unrighteousness. Protect your paths from people who travel paths of unrighteousness. What about evangelism? Again, on your path, on your terms, with these boundaries. Verse 10 through 9. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on, for they cannot sleep until they have done wrong, and they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. We're to be off of that path. We're to not even have that path in our peripheral vision. We're to be so clear of that path. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Well, how do we reach people on paths of unrighteousness? 
if we don't go to the paths of unrighteousness because we invite them onto the paths of righteousness where everything is light and the light is shining brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. And that path of righteousness is going to be one of the greatest testimonies to those of the paths of unrighteousness that what you have is real and there's another way to live, a better way to live, and they see it in you. And you invite them onto your path of righteousness through a friendship, through lunch, through a home group, uh, through church, through, through dinner, uh, working out together, they're, they're, through a baseball game. There's a hundred things you can do, but stay off of the path of unrighteousness and invite them onto the path of righteousness. And then passionately obey God with your... And this is... Cassidy led us into this when, when she exhorted our church family and then led us into the offering song. Passionately obey God with your eyes, your heart, your speech, your gaze, and your obedience. Chapter 4, verse 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. If you go to Jerusalem today and you go to the Temple Mount, the Muslim mosque is on the top because uh, the temple was uh, destroyed in 70 AD and Throughout the centuries, the, the, the Muslim mosque went up there, but, but the, the, the walls are still very uh, reverent to the Jews, especially the West Wall, the Welling Wall, which is the closest to the Holy of Holies, so that's where the Welling Wall is, and they pray. It's the closest they can get to where the Holy of Holies was. Um, but on the other side of the West Wall, I believe, um, I believe it's directly the other side, but there's steps. It's actually the steps where Peter preached uh, his, his sermon at, uh, on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. What's really interesting about these steps as you walk up them is that um, each step has a different width to it. One step might be this wide, one this wide, another that wide, another that wide, and this wide, this wide, this wide. And that was built like that on purpose because the Hebrews, rabbis, and the leadership said, when you walk to the temple of God to pray and to offer your sacrifices, when you walk to commune with God and to worship God, consider your steps. So the steps were built at different widths, so you couldn't just mindly walk, but you had to intentionally consider your steps. This is how we walk in wisdom. We intentionally consider our steps. We don't do anything haphazardly. We have prudence, we have discretion, and every decision is important because we only have one life to live and life is so short and time is moving fast and we've got one shot to live for God with all of our heart. Consider your steps. Where do you work? How hard do you work? Do you make your manager give you Sunday off? Do you show up for community? Do you serve in ministry? Do you walk righteously? How do you deal with stress? Do you have escapist sins? Consider your steps. Do you make any decisions that are in the dark or all of your decisions in the light? Would you be proud of all of your decisions if your loved ones knew it? Consider your steps. Are you taking care of your body? Do you eat food that's destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit? Consider your steps. Do you have a discipline to be in the Word every single day? Consider your steps. We must consider our steps every day, all day, throughout the day. Are you dealing with stress in a manner that's physically destructive to the temple of the Holy Spirit in which you've been entrusted? Consider your steps. My good friend Robert Borelli, he's spoken here from time to time. We try to get a cup of coffee whenever possible. He's an awesome guy. He looks like he's right out of a Martin Scorsese movie uh, about the mafia. In fact, The Goodfellas was a movie about the crew that he ran with. Uh, 
He did some bad things, bad things. He said that movie, The Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese, was very realistic. That was his running crew. He knew the people that those characters portrayed. He was in prison. He came to Christ. And people said, ah, that's prison religion. You'll lose it as soon as you get out. Well, he's not. He went from a mafia guy to a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a heart of gold, a heart for Christ. But when he was in prison, those words haunted him. Oh, you'll lose your religion. It's prison religion. So he'd read the word. And he would close the Bible. He would hold it to his heart. He would pray with tears. Oh, God, let your words... Get into my heart. He understood reading the word wasn't about just going into our eyes or ears and kind of circulating up here in our mind. It was about getting into his heart. He was approaching the word heart first so that he would read the word and every day throughout the day consider his steps. And then he would, in his prison cell, he would open up the scriptures and lay the Bible down and he would lay with his face in the scripture and, and cry and pray, oh God, let your word renew my mind. Would you stand with me, please? Your challenge this week is to memorize Psalm chapter 1. Your challenge this week is to continue to be in a proverb a day, every single day. And today is chapter 14. 15. Today is chapter 15. Be in it. Cry out for wisdom before you read. Man, you might even get in your prayer closet and put your face in Scripture and say, Oh God, renew my mind. Hold your, the Bible next to your heart and say, Oh God, let your words get into my heart. Renew my heart. We began the series by talking about a guy who was walking through the desert and he found a rose and he picked it up and he said, a desert rose. And as soon as he picked it up, these mountains uh, illuminated and, and a big door opened up in a cave and it, and it revealed a cave. And so he, this is obviously supernatural and so it's just a story. But So he walks in and he sees all of these treasures and he puts gold and silver in his pockets and his shirt and he's holding them as much as he can and he's walking back out into the desert and he hears a voice thunder Remember the rose. And he says, oh yeah, the rose. And he looks at all of the treasures that he has and he doesn't want to set them down. And he's like, oh, it's just a rose. Look at what I have. And he starts to walk and he hears the voice again. Remember the rose. He says, I've I've got all I need. So he walks back out the door and then when he exits and walks back into the desert, he looks behind him and the door closes over and the light fades on the mountain and all of his silver and gold disappears. And he realized that the rose was the key to everything else. Our rose is wisdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. What other things? The things that everybody seeks after. Don't worry about that. Remember the rose. Pursue wisdom. Pursue it. Pursue it. God will give wisdom liberally, not just a little bit, liberally to anybody who asks for it and for anybody who's on the path to obtain it God's way, according to Proverbs. So with that, um, man, let's just spend some time in response. And perhaps this week your mind has got a little clouded with this world. Perhaps your heart has gotten a little far from God. So let's just take a moment and let's just pray, God, I repent, renew me, I'm back, uh, and fill my heart with a passion to seek your face. Make your words get into my heart and mind so that I leave this place and I consider my steps so that I walk with discretion and prudence. So if you'd bow your heads, how many of you need to increase wisdom in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, the path is through the word and through raising your voice and crying out for it. So let's just spend some time asking God to renew our our path and our hearts.